Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is November the 10th, and our passage for today is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is an amazing chapter, and because it has such content, I want to give the context once again so you'll understand why Paul is writing to them. Now, in order for us to properly understand the context of First and Second Thessalonians together, which is so important, we need to go back to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul leaves Philippi and makes his way to the capital city of Thessaloniki. And so it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessaloniki where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, remember, there had not been a synagogue in Philippi, simply because there weren't enough men, Jewish men there, to even have a minion for a prayer meeting. They were outside of the city. That is, the women were, and a few men, but mainly women. Lydia was the leader, and they were praying because there was no synagogue in Philippi. So, Paul had come over from Troas, crossed the Aegean Sea, that northern sea, and he had gone to Neapolis, and then he had made his way just a few miles up to Philippi. It's a beautiful, beautiful plain with mountains all around. And he had come there, and as you recall, had great success, but because of his success, there was trouble. By the way, isn't that always the case? And so when he left there, we are now following his journey to Thessaloniki. And then Paul, as his custom was when he got to the capital city, went into the Jews in the synagogue, and for three Shabbats, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, he was explaining, that is, he was doing expository kind of teaching and preaching. He was explaining the text, illustrating the text, and then applying the text to help people to understand what this means. And so he was demonstrating that the Messiah, the Christ, as it is in our Bibles in Greek, had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Messiah. And he was, remember, preaching this to Jewish people who were looking for their Messiah, but it was a certain kind of Messiah and not the Messiah that was prophesied because they had missed all but just a small portion of the prophecies concerning the Messiah and had misinterpreted them. And some of them were persuaded, that is, some of the Jews and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, those who were not Jews, but they went to the synagogue because they believed that the true God of the Bible, the true God and the living God was the Jewish God. And not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas, but the Jews were not persuaded. That is, the Jews who did not believe, they became envious. Why? Because they had a following. Again, this is nothing new. This is the way it seems it always is. Because let me just tell you, pastor, if you're out there, and leader, if you're out there, businessman, if you're out there, and you're a godly man and you're trying to do the right thing. Now, listen to me. 
Your success will become a snare to you if you are not vigilant and aware that the enemy will take your success and he will use it in the lives of your enemies and those who are jealous of you to try to bring you down. There is always, hear me, hear me, pastor, there's always a staff member out there that is like an Absalom at the gate. He's jealous of the position that you have. He's never built anything. He's never done anything. But he is going to try to tell you how to do it, and that's exactly what Paul was facing. These people had just become enraged with jealousy. And so they took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Now think about this. And they sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, that is, Paul and Silas and the other men, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, would not that be a great compliment for any church? They've turned this place upside down. In reality, they had turned it right side up. But the scripture says that they were upset, they were torn apart because God was changing people's lives. Now, no doubt they were better citizens, no doubt they were better people, no doubt they were better in every way. But you see, people are not interested in people being better, they're interested in controlling people. And this is exactly what they did. And so Jason, they said, has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Now they're bringing up not religion, but politics, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And was Paul saying that? You better believe he was, but not of this world right now. They were not trying to overthrow Caesar. What they were trying to do is overthrow the ruler of this world, who is Satan. And they were entering into his territory, and he didn't like it. And so he stirred his demons up, and the demons stirred up these jealous, sin-controlled people. And so they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city. When they heard these things, it troubled them. So when they had taken security from Jason, in other words, had to have a bond, and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately, that is, those who were godly and those who had been saved, those who were followers of Jesus, in verse 10 of Acts 17, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And you know the story there. After a period of time, the men, the wicked men of Thessaloniki came down to Berea, stirred up the same thing there, and it ended up that Paul had to leave. He went on to Athens alone. Then from there, he met his party, including Timothy, in Corinth. When he was there, he was so concerned while at Corinth about having to leave these believers at Thessaloniki, he was concerned about them because he knew they were under heavy persecution and were going to be pressured to turn from the Lord Jesus and to fall back into the practices they had before and the belief system they had before. And so he sent a letter, what we call First Thessalonians, by Timothy. Timothy went up there. He stayed with them a bit, saw that they were not only surviving, they were thriving. And so he said, I'm going to go back to Paul now and give a report. He came back. He was thrilled to tell Paul that they were doing so well. But after a little bit, word came back to Paul after Timothy had come back with a good report that some of the same people 
that had given Paul problems. Now they were trying another way to disturb the people, and that is they were twisting Paul's words and saying, you see, you are in the middle of the day of the Lord, and things are not going well. The resurrection's already passed. This time that Paul told you about when the trumpet of the Lord will sound, the dead in Christ will rise. That's already happened, and you're left behind, basically. That kind of insinuation, that kind of information, and it was tearing them all to pieces. And so after he wrote 1 Thessalonians, he wrote the second letter to clear up these questions. So that's the whole purpose of this question being answered in chapter 2 about the day of the Lord, because they had been told by these wicked men and some that had misunderstood what Paul had said, because let me tell you, biblical prophecy is not anything easy. If somebody tells you they've got it all figured out down to the time and the line and everything else other than the big picture, the odds are that they've spent a little too much time listening to their own voice, because biblical prophecy is not easy. Is it a revelation that, yes, but you have to spend many times months and years and have a lot of seasoning to understand biblical prophecy. Otherwise, you'll just believe, well, this one said this, this one said that. That's what I believe. This is why if somebody says, I've got it all figured out, and they're less than 50 years old, then they probably are going to learn some things as they go along the way. I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time, who wrote several books before he was 50 years old, he said, if I had to do over again, I wouldn't write a book until I was 50. Now, why would he say that? Now, there are great prodigies like Charles Spurgeon, David Brainerd, all of these people that God's good hand is on, and they're meteors in the night. They come, and in their early life, they shine bright, and then they burn out quickly. Charles Spurgeon died, not an old man. All to say, these are rare commodities. They are rare people. But usually there has to be seasoning for there to be balance and wholeness in doctrine. That doesn't mean that you can't know the Word of God at any age where you have maturity. But I am saying that when people say this is the way it is, now if it comes to Jesus and the blood of Christ and the way of salvation, that's one thing. But when you start dealing with biblical prophecy where not just good men but great men differ, we need to walk lightly around that simply because if the Bible says it, fine, but speculation will get you nowhere. What Tony believes is worth less than a nickel. But I can tell you what God says, and it's for sure, we can bank on that. So the Apostle Paul wanted to clear up all of these things for these wonderful, solid, committed, established believers at Thessaloniki. So they were confused about the day of the Lord. And so Paul starts out in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians and says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, that is, Jesus coming, what he talked about in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 and other places, that is the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering to him, not to soon be shaken in mind or trouble either by spirit or by word or by letter as though it were from us, as though the day of the Lord, the day of Christ had come. That is, he uses the day of Messiah, but he's talking about what 13 out of the 16 prophets talk about and call the day of the Lord, the day of Hashem, the day of YHVH. We don't know how to pronounce his name. We pronounce it in the West, Yahweh. But this is the day of, he says, Christos, of Mashiach, of Messiah. You say, well, I thought it was the day of the Lord, the day of God Almighty. Well, that's who 
Mashiach is. That's who Jesus is. That's who the Christ is. And so he just uses these terms interchangeably. And so he says, let no man deceive you by any means. And then Paul goes into detail that he did not go in with them before. Now you say, well, why didn't he go into that before? Because you can't tell everybody everything in one shot or in three weeks. You see, sometimes in the West, and it's all over the world, but especially those of us in America, we want everything yesterday. We want to know what has taken centuries for men to write down and years of study. They want to know it overnight. You cannot do that. Paul couldn't tell everything that there was to tell about the day of the Lord. He was just trying to help them to understand about certain aspects of it. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he talks about the rapture. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks about the day of the Lord. And in both, he said, God is going to deliver you. He's going to deliver you from that time. You can go back and read it. And he said, I want you to comfort one another with these words. And so now he's going into detail. And so he said, let no man deceive you. This is verse 3 of chapter 2. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless an apostasy. The word falling away is apostaso, and it comes from the word to stand away. In other words, you fall away from your stance. And so he says, this apostasy, this falling away is going to come first and the man of sin will be revealed. Now, the man of sin is the man of anomia, that is of no law, of lawlessness, of total rebellion. He is a person that's going to be raised up who does not keep the law. He does not recognize the law. He becomes a law unto himself and the law that he spews out of his rotten, filthy mouth, devilish mouth. He won't even keep himself. And by the way, isn't that the way that people are that are following the devil? They don't do what they tell you to do. Sounds like government to me, but that's for another day. And so it says, the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition of hell himself who exposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he himself sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now, there's a lot of God talk there. But there's one true and living God and the Antichristos, the anti-Messiah, that who is against Messiah, that's what anti means, over against. Christos is the word Mashiach or Messiah, the anointed one. And so this is the counterfeit Christ. This is the devil personified in a person. He is called the Antichrist in the scripture. And John said the spirit of Antichrist, that is the same spirit that is going to inhabit him as a man, is already among us. And that's when John lived before the close of the first century. He says he's going to oppose God, anything that speaks of God, and he's going to sit in the temple of God. Well, there is no temple of God. Ah, that means there's going to be a temple of God. That is the place where God himself is going to rule and reign from on Mount Moriah. A third temple will be built there. And this satanic figure, this personification of the devil himself, will proclaim that he is God. You see, he's deceived the whole world in saying he's this wonderful person. And the devil is going to have free reign. The Holy Spirit that has been in the church is going to be lifted out, not the Holy Spirit, but his restraining power. I know the church is not what it needs to be, but let me tell you, when the church leaves this place, it's going to be hell on earth. The Jews are going to be saved. They're going to be sharing the gospel. 
gospel and many are going to be saved, but it's going to take a while for that to take effect. And so this man, three and a half years into this tribulation period, which is seven years, he is going to go to the temple in Jerusalem, proclaim himself to be God. And this is the ultimate fulfillment of what the prophet Daniel called the abomination of desolation. And then he said in verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In other words, he had told them this, but not in such great detail, maybe even more, but they don't get it on the first time. I don't get it on the first time. You don't get it on the first time. Some things we've heard over and over and over again, and finally it clicks. And he said, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that is the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, that he may be revealed in his own time. In other words, there is a restraining power right now, or the Antichrist would already be active. He says, for the mysterion of lawlessness. You see, this is another one of those mysteries that was not figured out by Daniel, by Isaiah, by any of the prophets. This mysterion, this mystery that's hidden in the heart of God will be revealed and was by the Apostle Paul, but it'll even be more during the days of the Great Tribulation to those believers. For the mystery of lawlessness of this person who has no regard for law whatsoever is already at work. During the day of Paul, he was talking about this same spirit was trying to rule. Only he who now restrains, which is the restraining element of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can't be taken out of the world. He is God. There is no place he is not. He is as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And the three are one. You say, well, I can't get a hold of that. Welcome to the human race. Nobody can. Our little peanut brains can't get a hold of transcendency. Our finite minds cannot get a hold of infinite. And so he says this restraining power of the Holy Spirit is going to restrain until he, he is taken out of the way. That is his restraining ability. And then the lawless one will be manifest, will be shown, will show up. And then he says, this coming of the lawless one is according to the work of the adversary of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The greatest tool Satan has is deceit, lying. He is a master of it. He is the father of it. He is the origin of it. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, those who will be deceived by the Antichrist are those that are wanting to do their own unrighteous, ungodly thing. You say, well, what about those who had an opportunity to be saved, but they did not take that opportunity to be saved? Well, the Bible says in verse 11, because they had pleasure in this ungodliness, for this cause, for this reason, God will send them delusion, strong delusion. That is, God's going to say, okay, you want to ram your head through a wall? Okay, you want to walk off that cliff? Okay, you want to follow the devil, have at it. I'm going to remove my restraining power, and you're going to be deceived, and you're going to believe the lie. Now, notice what it says, and for this cause, God will send them strong delusion 
that they should believe not a lie, but the lie. What is the lie? That this Antichrist is God. It's a definite article. That the particular lie. What is the deceit of the Antichrist? That he is the Christ. You will have myriads that will follow him. And it says the reason that God allows them to do this is because they turn their back on the light and the truth. And when you turn away from the only light there is, you're only walking in darkness. Now listen to me. This is the day of salvation. This is the day right now. If you're not saved, don't you say, I'll wait. No, if the Lord Jesus were to come and you had an opportunity, God had already dealt with you. I don't know whether he has or not, but if God has dealt with you, not just whether you've heard the truth, but if you understood and you've had the working of the Holy Spirit inside of you that says you need to repent, you need to place your faith in Christ. You can't save yourself. Jesus loves you. He will save you. And he paid the penalty for your sin. You understand that. And God's tugging at your heart and you say, no, if I read this correctly, God will say, okay, you had your opportunity over and over and over and over again. And so don't blame me. You chose to be blinded. And when you walk into darkness, you're stumbling. You will go blind. You will not be able to see. And the Bible says that he'll do this so that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. But here's the kicker but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now listen to me, sir. Listen to me, man. Listen to me, ma'am. Listen to me, lady. Listen to me, college age. Listen to me, young person. The reason you're not getting saved is not because somebody didn't treat you correctly. It's not because somebody hurt you. It's not because you saw a preacher do something or a deacon or a parent do something or somebody godly that disappointed you. Are you disappointed? Welcome to our world. We all are. But let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He will save you. He will redeem you. He will change your life. Now, hear me. If you're not saved, you're not going to stand before God one day and blame someone else. You have pleasure in the way you're living. That's right. You like it. You like being miserable. You like the attention you get. You like the justification you can bring. And let me tell you something. You are on a path toward ungodliness that will wrap its tentacles around you and drag you into hell. Turn with all of your heart to God. It's not anybody's fault that you're not saved but you. Listen, Mom and Dad, quit blaming somebody for your own children's own rebellion. They're lost because they desire to be lost. They desire because they want to live like they are. Doesn't matter who it is, my child, your child, my dad, your dad, doesn't matter. We all, we all are sinners and we need to be saved. And if you're not saved, it's your own fault. And so my advice to you in the name of Jesus is repent of your sin. If you've already been saved, then what you need to do is make sure you're right with God and live in obedience to him. God will enable you and empower you to do what he has commanded you to do. And you keeping a modicum of obedience is not going to save you. You will do that because you are saved, because the life of God has come to live in your heart. And I just say to you, please, in the days in which we're living, stop right now, wherever you are, and listen this. If you're driving down the road with your eyes open, just say, Lord Jesus, 
Forgive me when I've failed you. Oh, God, would you right now give me a brand new start, a brand new beginning, because I want to live for you until Jesus comes or you take me home. And if you're not saved, just say right now, dear God in heaven, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I have sinned. I've failed you. I've hurt you. I've hurt so many people. But, oh, God, most of all, I have sinned against you who has loved me and cared for me. And, Lord, will you forgive me? Take my sin away. I give the rest of my life to you. May God enable all of us to seek his face before it's too late. We're on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.